Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Douglas Wilson. This is episode 295, and you are most welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for doing what you, whatever it is you do to get this content into your head. So I want to talk about something I recently wrote about, re- recently um, blogged about, but it's sort of a perennial uh, issue, or it seems like a perennial issue. It ought not to be a perennial issue, but it is. And that is Let's just call it arrests as election interference. Arrests as election interference. Now, we've got a complicated situation. So, for example, I believed, I believed and continue to believe that uh, the Clinton Foundation was involved in any number of dirty deeds. I think that there was a high level of corruption. Now, when you are dealing with a corrupt county official or a corrupt mayor or, you know, that sort of low-level grift and, and that kind of thing, uh, it is possible to have a changing of the guard and people come in or uh, a vigorous and honest prosecutor can come in and sort of uh, clean house. Uh, and anybody who is opposed to corruption in government cannot be opposed to that kind of cleaning house. But you get to a level when you're dealing with the presidency, you get to a level where cleaning house becomes just another political weapon. So consequently, even though I believed that if a disinterested prosecutor delved into all the behavior of Bill and Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation, they would find any number of things that were prosecutable. But I believed at the time, and said so at the time, that when Donald Trump was elected in a surprise turn of events in 2016, I was opposed to, you know, the the Trump crowds used to chant, lock her up, lock her up, and uh, so on. But I was opposed to that kind of thing, because I thought, and continue to think, that when you win an election, and the first thing that happens is that you lock up your leading opponent. You know, whoever comes in number one is now in control, and whoever comes in number two is sent off to the big house or is prosecuted or dealt with summarily. What you are doing is not cleaning house. What you're doing is guaranteeing that future elections will become even dirtier because there is no exit ramp. There's no way to get out. So here's another illustration of, of the same principle. It used to be that when a, some third world dictator got too oppressive or too, too out over his skis, and there was some sort of a CIA operation to remove him, the deal used to be, hey, come along quietly. We'll get you a, we'll get you a nice suburban house in Tacoma Park, Maryland. And you can live out your days in retirement, retired dictator. But when the purists get a hold of that sort of thing, 
And, and, and there were times when the dictator would see the handwriting on the wall and say, okay, okay, I'll, I'll go quietly. But let's say you have the purists who demand blood, who, de- who demand that every last uh, miscreant be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, regardless of the circumstances. What happens is dictators fight to the last ditch rather than rather than accepting a plea deal and going uh, <laughs> going off quietly what you what you've done you instead of uh, instead of getting rid of the dictator you have created conditions where it is necessary for dictators to hang on to power so in the same way if you conduct your elections such that the first thing you do is arrest your opponents or prosecute your opponents and use the justice system as a tool in your political tool chest. What you're doing is you're not preserving the the integrity of elections. What you're doing is destroying the possibility of elections. Now, this is all relevant uh, because of what's happening to Trump right now. I know that the 2024 presidential election is going to be dirty because it is dirty now. I know that it's going to be dirty because it's dirty now. We're watching everybody. And I'm not talking about the kind of things that are alleged as happening in the middle of the night, the water main breaking in Fulton County and the rigging of the Dominion voting machines and the cessation of the counting and the ballots that were under the table. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. What I'm talking about is prosecuting your leading political opponent in the middle of a campaign. It's the same thing that I believe with uh, Clinton's. I believe that the, the evidence is very clear that the Biden family and the uh, the Ukraine slush fund and the there is just no conceivable way that there aren't prosecutable crimes that were conducted there at the very least uh, sufficient for an indictment but let's say that Trump wins the next uh, the the 2024 election I believe that he, even though even though it's happened now, I believe that we should be very wary about prosecuting political enemies. Now you might get, and it's but at some point you get to the point where it doesn't matter anymore. You can't say, "Well, we better not swim down to the other end of the pool because we might get wet." We're already there. There, There's a case to be made that says, "Well, we're there now," but we should know what we're doing. We should know what risk we're taking. We should know that um, using the justice system as a tool in your campaign toolbox is just not cool. Always will be God. Continuing on with the podcast, uh, episode 295, in our study of homartiology, which is uh, dealing with words representing sins in the Greek New Testament, we, we now come to the word heton. Heton, H-E-T-T-O-N, heton. This word means worse or less, worse or less. And it occurs two times in the New Testament, and in both instances, there's a moral component to it. You can easily construct uh, scenarios where the word worse is not a moral thing. Well, it was started raining this morning, and this afternoon it got worse. Uh, that's, that's not a moral issue. But the both instances of heton uh, in the New Testament 
have do have a moral component. One is 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. There it is, but for the heton, but for the worse. So, when the people of God gathered together to hear the word preached and to partake of the sacraments, the whole point is edification. The reason God summons us to gather together uh, to glorify him is because his name should be glorified, A, and B, this is good for our edification. So, the worship of the church is supposed to build us up. When we gather together, together with all the people of God, that's supposed to build us up. But Paul chastises the Corinthians here because he says that their meetings, far from making things better, are actually making things worse. So your sanctification is at (laughs) a certain level, and you go to church, and it uh, degrades the whole thing. It would be better not to go to some church services, in other words. It would be better for your Christian life to stay away from some churches. The other use of heton occurs in 2 Corinthians. There, Paul says this, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. The less I be loved, it's heton there. The less I be loved, 2 Corinthians 12.15. So the more I love you, the less you love in return. As he renders to the Corinthians what he ought to be giving them, which is more love, they sin in their response to him. The less I be loved. So both of these are are moral uh, situations. Your church services are making everything worse, heton, or the more I love you, the less heton, the less you love in return. God don't never change. He's God. So uh, for our book review uh, this time around, in for episode two ninety five of the podcast, I want to um, commend a book called uh, Taking Back the Culture by Preaching the Kingdom. Taking Back the Culture by Preaching the Kingdom. This was written by a gent named Roger Dunlap, a friend of mine who lives in Northern Ireland. And he, it's a small little book, and you can get it, you can get it through Amazon, Dunlap, D-U-N-L-O-P. You can get it at Amazon. You can also get it at ccmbooks.com ccmbooks.com. You can get the book there, or you can get it at Amazon. Taking Back the Culture Through Preaching the Kingdom. Roger writes as a layman, encouraging ministers of the Word to do their job, which is to preach the kingdom. When you preach the kingdom, you're, not, you're, you're preaching something more than individual salvation. Now, of course, and this should go without saying, nothing— uh, uh, I'm an evangelical pastor. I believe in the absolute necessity of the new birth, and I believe that we go to heaven or hell by ones. That means individual regeneration is a big deal, and we should take care never to background it or or to minimize its importance in its place. But having said that, the Christian proclamation involves far more right, involves far more than simply preaching a gospel that will get X amount of individuals into heaven when they die. You, you'll notice that, that in the gospels and in the book of Acts, one of the things that is preached is the kingdom. The kingdom is preached. And this, this little book is a, um, a good introduction to and a good encouragement 
to pastors who are in a position to preach the kingdom to start preaching the kingdom. And what this has to do, uh, what this deals with, is the absolute authority of the Lord Jesus Christ over every area of human existence. We, we don't preach a truncated gospel. We preach an expansive gospel. The way we talk about it here in Moscow is all of Christ for all of life. If you're familiar with the, these terms, this is a way of saying that, uh, that our, our Calvinism, our Reformed theology, is of a Kuyperian bent. Uh, one scholar has divided the Reformed world up into three sectors. There is the uh, confessional stream, where it's all about the you know all about the historic confessions, and that's the beginning, middle, and end of everything. Then there's the Pietist stream, which has to do with your own personal devotion and your own personal holiness. And then there's the Kuyperian stream. The Kuyperian stream is the one that says all of Christ for all of life. Now, it's important to note that if you choose the Kuyperian stream, which this this book, uh, preaching, taking the culture by preaching the kingdom, what this book is advocating is a Kuyperian approach. But it's important to note that when you when you take the Kuyperian approach to things, this does not exclude confessionalism, and it does not exclude personal piety. Confessionalism by itself need not be Kuyperian. Pietism by itself need not be Kuyperian. Pietism by itself need not be confessional. But Kuyperianism, of its very, because it's so expansive, and because you're arguing for all of Christ for all of life, it is uh, something that necessarily entails piety and the confessions. It, uh, Kuyperianism is a way of saying, in effect, why not all three? Why, why do we have to just take the pie of our lives and cut it up into little tiny pieces and then give Jesus the littlest piece? That's, uh, that's not the way to go.